90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Um, I'm alive, so that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand why you don't want to record at 2 a.m., John. I told you I was available then. <laughs> you know, the one-hour difference only trips us up occasionally, but 2 a.m. is a little bit of a stretch because that's a few hours before I get up. <laughs> a few hours. Wow. <laughs> um, what have you been up to lately? Oh, you know, I've just been trying to... Uh, Stay cool out here. Amen to that. We had our first like almost 100 degree. Well, I guess it's not our first, but close to it. Uh, 100 degree day this weekend, followed by a 79 degree day. So Oklahoma, you know. Yeah. And we'll know what actually happened by the time this show airs. But as of today, the Hurricane Center has an outlook for a potential hurricane to hit the Gulf Coast. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, something developed in the Gulf earlier this week. And so we had a very early start to hurricane season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that should prove to be interesting as the uh, season goes through um, September, right? So it's going to be a while. Yes. And coincidentally, the weather models nailed it. Ooh, shocking. <laughs> Yes, almost <laughs> never happens, and everybody's looking at it saying, oh, that's an interesting story, and now <laughs> it looks like it's going to happen. Wow. Well, we will, um, I'm sure, talk about that next week, whatever happens there. Yeah. But before we get going too deeply this week, I messed up. Oh, that never happens. <laughs> that happens a lot. So, <laughs> I mean, week... not when it's recorded, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, we were talking about the article that Steve had sent in with The Rock moving back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I made the mistake of doing some offhand mental math and said, 300 millimeters, that's about nine feet. Oh, <laughs> which doesn't sound right. <laughs> no. So I converted 300 centimeters, yeah. which would be three meters, which is nine feet. So actually 300 millimeters is about a foot. What's well, an order of magnitude between friends? <laughs> I mean, it's not an exact science, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so there was that. Uh, and as a listener, Bart pointed that out. And he also talked about our fun paper. And he said, you know, he's always thought that if you can't explain it to him in words that he understands, you probably don't understand it yourself very well, which I think is an excellent point. And that, you know, jargon is kind of a good indicator of how comfortable somebody is with the subject. Okay, so... I, I absolutely agree. I think that's a paraphrase from some famous scientist, Einstein or something, that also said that. So, yeah, you don't understand it if you've got to use big words. It's true. And a lot of people, I think, hide behind jargon. Oh. Oh, uh, I heard yeah. somebody else use this word. I didn't really understand it, but I'm going to use it. And you'll think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I actually had some... Uh, I guess you wouldn't really call it feedback, but you know we haven't talked about our summer manifestos yet. What we wanted to do Ooh. over the summer—that's mm, true. Uh, but I've been reading a book that I think some of our listeners would find interesting. And last time we talked about books, several people gave them a listen and said they enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would bring up a book. Uh, <laughs> it's called "Just One Damned Thing After Another" by Jody Taylor. Okay. And I am listening to it through Audible, which, of course, you know, is not a sponsor. We're not affiliated, and so on. And <laughs> but if Audible wants to sponsor us, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> and the the premise of the book is 
it's a it's a time travel book. There are historians that go back in history to investigate what really happened. Okay. Unlike most time travel books, you can't alter the future. Time does not allow it, and it will try to kill you if you are going to do something that alters the future. Ooh, that uh, sounds interesting. It's an interesting it, take on the normal time travel rules. Yeah, it's an interesting twist, and uh, they go back to some times that are, I'm going to say, geologically interesting. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so there's a, a book recommendation if you're looking for something to start Excellent. off your summer with. Excellent. I, I'm reading a time management book, but I haven't really found the time recently to finish it. So <laughs> <laughs> irony abounds. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so you've also got in here before we get started that um, you're suggesting that I volunteer to run this T-shirt business. Is that is that what I read right here? <laughs> yeah. So last week, Shannon suggested that uh, if folks were interested in T-shirts, they should let us know. And you let us know that you're interested in t-shirts. <laughs> so the way I read that is, Shannon, since you suggested this idea, uh, that was you volunteering to run the campaign, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Just forward me that uh, that info on along, and we'll see what we can rustle up. <laughs> yes, so keep your eyes out for an announcement about t-shirts. Excellent. But on to the topic at hand, so our summer short does not become a summer long <laughs> as always uh speaking of jargon i don't know what this is that we're going to talk about today i mean i know what it is now but i didn't when we started yeah so i thought it would be fun to talk about density altitude ironically enough i just heard that mentioned on the uh on the tv and why it was is because this phenomenon is responsible for grounding a lot of flights in the southwest during this heat wave they're having right now right Yes, and that's that's actually why I thought it would be a fun thing to talk about because on the news they had you know even on the CNN homepage flights grounded because of heat, and there wasn't a great explanation <laughs> as to why they were grounded <laughs> because of heat. <laughs> yeah, um, that's why I had to listen a little bit more, and then when I read these notes, I was very excited to talk about this because I didn't really understand why. Um, it's not surprising because in the Southwest and we're talking about, you know, Sky Harbor there in Phoenix, they're over 120 degrees. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. So they're, they hit over 120 on Tuesday, which is, uh, 48C. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's uh, hot. Hot. <laughs> and uh, the, so the bigger, the Boeings and the Airbuses could still fly, but barely. So they're in the 125 to 128 Fahrenheit maximum operating temperature range. Okay. But but those little regional jets that we zip around on all the time, mm -hmm. those have a maximum operating temperature of about 118 Fahrenheit. Okay. So this maximum operating temperature, that's not just for the engine. That has to do with how they fly too, right? Right. I mean, the, the engine is much hotter inside. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it, it's really a function of they're grounded because the air is not dense enough for them to take off. This is so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, this is so interesting. So the hotter we get, the less dense the air gets. And this goes back to that one fabulous equation you should always remember, PV equals NRT, right? So we've got hot air, more energy, and therefore pressure volume must go up. 
Right. So the, the product of PV on the left side has to remain constant. And since we're not drastically changing the pressure at the surface, you know, we don't have this tight uh, volume constraint, uh, we're letting the volume expand. And when the volume expands, but the amount of material is the same, the density goes down. And that is a problem <laughs> for airplanes. <laughs> but the temperature is not the only thing that can affect it. So there's R, which is the gas constant, which changes with how much moisture is in the air. Right. So, mm -hmm. so humid air is less dense as well. So hot and humid is really bad. Uh, yeah. And I know it sounds weird that you add water to air and it gets less dense. But remember, <laughs> clouds. They float. <laughs> they float. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, and, and you always... Like, it's always described, hot, humid temperatures are always described as oppressive, too. So it's not really something you think of as being less dense, you know? Yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't feel <laughs> less dense. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you talk about swimming through that kind of air, so yeah. Um, but so this has to do with the whole mechanics of flight, which I'm going to say I don't know a lot about. Right, so the idea is wings or propellers, which are wings turned on their side and spinning, basically, create Whoa, Wait, wait, lift. That, that was, that was mind-blowing right there. <laughs> but you're right, go ahead. <laughs> right, so they create lift, or if you're pointing them perpendicularly and spinning them, they're creating thrust. Uh -huh. And you need both of those things to get off the ground. So the fundamental forces on an airplane are thrust, lift, drag, and gravity. <laughs> yeah, and you can't do anything about that one. So, <laughs> Right. And uh, gravity is the problem here because you have to get enough lift to overcome it. So if you are wanting to maintain level, stable flight, you need a lift to weight ratio of one to one. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's not to climb. That's not to maneuver. That's not to do anything else. Generally, you're in the neighborhood of more like two to one when you're really cranking on things okay but just to stay afloat huh but just to stay afloat so okay. the problem is when a wing or propeller is cutting through a less dense media it takes more airflow more air speed to get the same amount of lift or thrust from it right because there's just not that material there to produce that lift or thrust right so think about on uh an underwater glider that's a wing. It works the exact same way as a wing in air does, but you're in a much denser fluid. The wings are much smaller. The control services are much smaller. I mean, a pretty small rudder can steer a tanker that is way bigger than an airplane and has a huge rudder. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there is problem the first. <laughs> uh, another problem is the engine's output power actually decreases as the air density goes down. Because engines suck in air, they use the oxygen in the air to combust a fuel and spit it out the back. Mm -hmm. Well, if the atmosphere is less dense, there's less oxygen in that given volume of air that they took in. So they can combust less fuel and produce less thrust. And then they compound that problem with fundamentally a jet. You're accelerating mass and shooting it out the back of the engine, sort of like a rocket. And that's right. where your thrust comes from. Right there's not as much mass to accelerate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Man, so this is a huge whammy of uh, bad news for trying to get up in the air. 
Yeah, and it's also a problem for, for uh, skydivers as well. Skydivers care about density altitude a lot because the effective area of your parachute, if you're oh. skydiving, is much smaller. Yeah, I didn't even... Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. That's really scary. <laughs> right, so they have to be very acutely aware of what the density altitude is. They can also go hypoxic. Oh, and, my gosh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Wow. I mean, this is... I mean, the elevation in Phoenix isn't very high, right? So you think these are like, you know, high elevation problems, but that's not the case. No, but I, I think before we go any further, we should define the jargon. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> so what is density altitude? We know what the effects of low density air are, but what is a density altitude? Right, okay. And so this is going to um, have to do with, you know, what the air density at a certain altitude should feel like, right? Right. So the density altitude is defined as the altitude based on the standard atmosphere, which is assuming a bunch of things about the atmosphere. <laughs> All uh, of which are untrue. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's the altitude at which the density would be equal to the density that you're experiencing at the surface right now. Okay. So if you're sitting on the ground in Phoenix, and as I just alluded to, um, at a thousand feet, the plane might think it's at 4,000 feet. So right. that's a huge difference in terms of anything, any operating you want to do, especially taking off, right? Yes. I mean, that's 300 to 1,200 meters. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's significant. And that is solely a function of the temperature. Right. And I mean, I, I watch enough, I'm sure everyone does this, right? Sits around and watches enough climbing movies about Everest that knows that, you know, helicopters can only go so far up because of the altitude. So if you think you're at this higher altitude, that's just that much more thrust and lift and engine power that you need to get moving. Right. And it's definitely a problem when you're trying to take off or land, as you said, because to have the same amount of lift, you need to be going as fast as you would need to be going several thousand feet up, which you may not have enough runway for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most definitely. <laughs> At least there's a lot of space out there in the Southwest, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so this is a pretty common problem uh, for places that they call high and hot airports. Ah. Uh, one of the more famous ones being Mexico City, where you're sitting at 7,300 feet above sea level or 2,200 meters. And you're in Mexico. Yeah. So that's really interesting. I didn't, I've really never thought about this phenomenon or heard much about it at all till the news this afternoon. Yeah. And it's, of course, also a big thing for military aircraft because civilian aircraft are comparably light uh, <laughs> compared to, say, a B 52 bomber. All right. Obviously, this is going to affect. I mean, all types of aircraft, like you said, had different different um, effects, I guess, based on the temperature, though. But helicopters also have this problem. And this is just, wow. It's very interesting. I hadn't thought about this. Yeah, so, like, an airplane can't climb as fast. And I mean, you would even notice that if, if you're taking off from somewhere that's roughly at sea level versus taking off from Denver. Right. You're going to take measurably longer to go down the runway right, exactly. before you can roll out. So mm -hmm. there's that problem. But helicopters are a special case because helicopters are often thought of as being, you know, this relatively safe thing that if the engine fails, you can do what's called auto-rotate down. So as you're falling, the 
main rotor is spinning, it's producing drag, and you gently float down, sort of. <laughs> as gently as you can in a crash, yes. <laughs> right. So you can have a controlled crash landing. Mm-hmm. But if you are operating in a certain area of this altitude velocity curve, and the air is not very dense, you just fall like a rock. That's terrifying. So <laughs> so where do you, I mean, there's aviation weather, I'm assuming. So is this the job of the weather services to, you know, is there a table for this that you can look up? I mean, it seems yeah, like there's... So there's uh, there's definitely tables. The weather service, there, there are exact formulas that are more complicated. They require you to actually do things with the standard atmosphere. Ah. Uh, the weather service has a nice rule of thumb formula that's an mm-hmm. approximation. Uh, it just takes the pressure and temperature where you're sitting, which the tower is going to give you. And it plugs into a very simple formula you can do on a calculator and it gives you the density altitude. But aircraft normally come with tables. Yeah. You would think you'd really want a specific one for this. <laughs> right. And I mean, there are even some small aircraft, uh, a lot of small civil aircraft that have service ceilings. And there have been cases where maybe they fly into Mexico City and land in the morning when it's cool. And then they're stranded because the density <laughs> altitude goes above their service ceiling and they can't take off. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't even uh, think about that. <laughs> it's also possible for if you're flying into an area where there's very low density altitude, there are cases where if you're fully loaded, you can't maintain straight and level flight. Mm-hmm. Full bore, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, so you see this in... Um, there are some really scary videos because I'm scared of flying, so I watch scary flying videos because that's a way to get over it. <laughs> there are videos of this where you see at these really high altitude airports, they've got short runways and the planes kind of fall off the end of them and it's terrifying. Right. <laughs> so, um, even more terrifying are some of the ways to combat very high density altitudes. <laughs> uh, I love this. So just, just stick a bigger engine, right? So jet assisted takeoff. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So there's JADO. Uh, you can strap rockets on a plane, which is yeah. a military solution. Cool. <laughs> because so a civilian aircraft, we're just going to ground it and say, we got to wait until the evening yeah. when we can take <laughs> off. But if you're the military, that's not an option. So you strap some rockets on the thing to help get you in the air. This is the wily uh, Coyote uh, <laughs> work around there. <laughs> right. And th- there's also these uh, enhanced lift devices. Okay. <laughs> that are manufactured for some airplanes that they can bolt onto the wing, which pretty much just gives you a bigger wing, bigger surface area. Okay. The catch to those is, though you get a bigger wing area and more lift, you also just increase your drag cross section. Yeah, because now you've got a lot more area. So hmm. you have to make sure that you're not doing more harm than good. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, and then one that's uh, a fascinating solution <laughs> is... <laughs> You spray water into the intake of a jet engine. Oh, my gosh. Just to give you some more stuff to burn? Well, it's not about what you're burning. It's about putting more mass into Mm. the stream that you're accelerating so you get that greater force. Okay. Yep. Uh Uh, You're increasing the M, so you're increasing force in F equals MA. Yeah. I think I'd just wait, I think. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really interesting topic and one that most people don't think about. But in my conversations with pilots over the years, 
I've definitely heard density altitude mentioned and sometimes very adamantly about, oh, we really need a good table or a good calculation or a good way to instantaneously know what the density altitude here is because it's an important operational parameter. Uh, yes, yes, I would think it would be. <laughs> I'm definitely going to put this into my rotation of questions. I nervously ask pilots about flying when I'm freaking out on airplanes. So, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're flying to a conference in the winter, it's probably not a big deal. Yeah, true. <laughs> but uh, but if you're going to Mexico City in July, yeah, I would consider it. Definitely ask about it. <laughs> and they'll probably say that's the least of your worries, but... <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but I did think it would be a good idea, before we leave this topic totally, to talk a little bit about heat wave safety, because there is a heat wave going on and there will be more. Yes, exactly. And, you know, we deal with that with this every year at field camp, which I'm not out at this year, obviously, um, as you can hear from the new baby grunts that are happening in the background. <laughs> um, and they hit 101 degrees out there today. And it's a big problem because, I mean, dehydration and heat stroke can get you pretty fast. And if you're thirsty, we always say, if you're really thirsty, you're probably already dehydrated. So... That's not right. good. <laughs> so you should keep drinking even if you're not thirsty. Uh, mm -hmm. If you can avoid outdoor activity and stay in a cool area, that's always a good bet. And, uh, of course, you want to check on those people that are outdoors working right. pretty regularly and also check in on any elderly folks. Exactly. And if you find you're outside and you stop sweating – that's a really bad sign. You, that means, you know, that you're probably already in the midst of some kind of um, heat-related illness. So that's you're too late by then. So make sure you start drinking water right away as soon as you're out there. Yeah, and these are nothing to mess around with. It's not that uh, somebody's wimpy because they're feeling bad because it's hot. This can be a fatal problem. Right, exactly. And I just, I just actually read another paper... Um, because I obviously read medical papers for fun, <laughs> and said how much heat can exacerbate other illnesses, right? So we don't even know how many people are actually affected by heat because it'll get reported as something else, like cardiac arrest or something, when actually it's brought on by the heat. So it's a really dangerous thing. And yeah, I understand that you really need to get your lawn mowed or something like that, but sometimes it's best just to wait. Yeah, I mean, also, if you're running your lawnmower at a high density altitude, the engine's not going to produce <laughs> as much power anyway. Exactly. So it's going to take you twice as long. So just <laughs> just go inside and drink a beer. It's fine. <laughs> well, maybe not a beer. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Stay inside and drink a beer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually think that is a, uh, a pretty good transition talking about medical papers and <laughs> medical phenomena. <laughs> To everybody's um, favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday. Yay! <laughs> this one's super gross, and it seems like a dude thing, so I'm just going to let you do this one. <laughs> so this was a paper that a listener sent in quite some time ago, and unfortunately in the great email purge <laughs> that was getting our inbox to work again, uh, we do not remember who sent this in. <laughs> Yes. So thank you for sending in the paper called The Nature of Naval Fluff by Stenhauser. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this. <laughs> this was awful and kind of hilarious, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's a three-year study, which also I thought was very funny. 
Right. And the first sentence of the abstract is hard facts on a soft matter. Exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love this was triggered by a popular scientific book that I haven't read um, by Lehner and Goldberg, which is why do men have nipples? Hundreds of questions you'd only ask your doctor after your third martini. That's fantastic. <laughs> like, this is super great. Um, so Steinhauser goes on to say that, you know, they sort of try to, um, they raise the question in the book, some belly buttons collect a lot of lint and some don't, but they actually didn't really have an answer for it. And so like any good scientist, he said, I'll fix this. <laughs> exactly. And uh, <laughs> so what he ended up doing was, like you said, for a few years, he collected Naval fuzz from himself. Oh, oh man. <laughs> uh, there, there are photos. Uh, yep. <laughs> there, there is a histogram of mass. And in this histogram, there are 503 pieces of naval lint <laughs> that were uh, made. Uh, uh, I really hope that he did this and he didn't have an undergrad do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would guess you would just carry one of those little pocket milligram scales. I guess so. Because <laughs> you don't want to... You know, like, hang on to this stuff. Uh, oh, hmm. I, I just assumed he was hanging on to it. You're probably right, though. Um, he does point out numerous times that he takes a shower every day, so this is not like, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the histogram is interesting because the histogram of mass has a pretty long tail. Yeah, it does. There are a lot of very large um, chunks of lint. Um, And so he describes those differences as the types of shirts and also the age of the shirts that he was wearing. Right. So a a typical, your your average navel fluff. uh, (laughs) The the average mass was 1.82 milligrams, but most of the pieces were 1.2 to 1.29 milligrams. Uh, But there were some that were over nine yeah, that's gross. Uh. <laughs> and it's like you said, if the shirt is a newer shirt, it's going to shed more. Or if it's a shirt that is cotton versus uh, a silk shirt or something like that. Right. And so saying that, he actually also took this navel fluff and did elemental analysis on it, right, to figure out what exactly was in it. And was it just pure cotton or were there other things as well? And it turns out that it accumulates things. It actually acts as sort of a cotton ball for your belly button. Yeah, um, which is really weird. So there was, you know, dust, and obviously there was a lot of skin in there, fat, protein, sweat, etc. Um, and so he's sort of suggesting that that's the um, that's the purpose of navel lint is that it helps to clean out your belly button. And also, why is it just a male thing? Well, it has to do with your hairy stomach. Right. So the idea is that hair, which is rough microscopically, is actually helping to pull these fibers off, sort of hooking them and pulling them off. And then since it radiates roughly radially from your navel, it's actually helping direct the fluff into your belly button. And so in a very elegant solution, he shaves his stomach to see if he collects fluff while his stomach is shaved. And he doesn't. No, it pretty much stops and then starts up again as his hair grows back right exactly (laughs) oh this is beautiful (laughs) this is just a beautiful paper the things we do for science exactly exactly Uh, (laughs) it's it's nice and short it's just a couple pages Uh Uh, i do want to look up 
there is a, another paper called Quantification of the Abrasive Wear of a Gold Wedding Ring mm-hmm. that talks about, and neutron activation analysis of laundry dryer lint. Yes. <laughs> uh, we actually talk about how you can find gold and silver in dryer lint because of abrasion of jewelry. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting, um, really interesting reference as well. <laughs> yes. So that might be a source for another fun paper. Yes. But the histogram from this one is great. Uh, the figure one, which shows a hairy lint collecting navel and a not so hairy not lint collecting navel, is also pretty great. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. It doesn't say if it's the authors or not, but I would imagine. We have to assume so, given that everything else was done as a self study. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's beautiful. So that's Josie. If you collect anything for long enough, you can put it on a histogram <laughs> and turn it into a pub. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. <laughs> so I thought that was a really excellent, fun paper. Thank you to whoever sent that in. Mm-hmm. Yes. And <laughs> but if you have a fun paper suggestion that you would like us to credit you with and not lose, <laughs> or if you would like to suggest a design for a t-shirt so you can get a new t-shirt to do your own navel lint collection study, <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Please don't send us those pictures at show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. That probably belongs on Twitter. Um, You can tag at geo underscore Lehman. Do not tag at Shannon Doolin. Um, And together we are at don'tpanicgeo. And it also sounds like something that everybody in the Slack chat room would like. So come on over to the swung.rocks and hop on the Don't Panic channel and um, tell us about your, you know, belly button lint. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go. I am sure that somebody is going to have a scale hooked up to a computer yeah. with a, you know, a SQL database. I have and... no doubt. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.